Hey everybody, my name's Brandon. If we haven't met, I'm so glad uh, that you've tuned in. If you're watching online, thank you for clicking in. I love that we have a growing online community. And if you're here on campus, thanks for coming. For those of you in the chapel with our traditions venue, we love that you're here. And for those at the Valley Community Center, Maple Knoll Cafe, you know who you are. Let me hear you cheer. Uh, I know you're over there. We love that everybody who is on campus is on campus. And those of you watching online, thank you so much for being a part of our community. You know, I'm wondering, do we have any reality TV fans? You know, just that those TV shows where we get to just watch people live their lives. You know, uh, uh, shows like Survivor. I love that. The game show, you know, Big Brother. Never really got into that, but all of that drama. The Amazing Race is one of my all-time favorite reality TV slash game shows. Uh, other reality shows that you probably watch are like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. American Idol, right? Who, who gave us Kelly Clark and Carrie Underwood and Chris Daughtry and, and the drama of Simon Cow. People tuned in to this musical TV show for the drama. It's incredible. Maybe, maybe you were a fan of the Osbournes. You know, Ozzy Osbourne and his family on MTV, this guy who had such a mysterious kind of dark life. When, when we put him on TV in this reality show, he just kind of came off as this goofy grandfather. And uh, we've got shows like Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, Ty Pennington. You remember him? He moved the bus and he moved our hearts. It was such a good show. Uh, the Biggest Loser, Dancing with the Stars, America's Got Talent, The Voice. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, you probably have a favorite reality TV show or one that you've watched or seen. Can you think of that? Can you think of one? Whether you're in your living room all alone or you're in one of our venues, I just want you to shout out your favorite reality TV show, whatever it is, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Mine was Amazing Race. Uh, all of those shows just being shouted out. I think, it's, I think it's awesome. I feel like my generation, though, that we really got to launch reality TV. Back in, in 1992, there was a show called The Real World that aired on MTV. And, and it seemed like the world was tuning in to these seven lives in this epic city just to watch all the drama, to be entertained, and to kind of have the fantasy of living life through these people in an epic, incredible city. Like, it was amazing. And, and of course, there were reality TV shows before the real world. I mean, there were shows like Cops. Uh, and before that, shows like Candid Camera. Uh, I remember as a child, uh, early, early Saturday morning, before cartoons, there were guys on TV just fishing. That's all they were doing. It was reality TV. It's just sitting in a boat, casting and catching. I just wanted it to be over so I could watch my cartoons. But, but the real world, it, it really kind of caused a reality TV frenzy that eventually brought us shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and, and Jersey Shore, and the Real Housewives, Orange County, right? Or if you're a Real Housewives uh, fan, you know that there's a, a Real Housewives of New York City uh, and Atlanta and New Jersey and DC and Beverly Hills and Miami and Potomac and Dallas and Salt Lake City. And I don't even know if you know this, but coming in 2021, there's gonna be a Real Housewives All-Stars. Uh, those are just the shows that have aired here in America. There are more than a dozen international Real Housewives shows across the globe. I mean, I'm telling you, people will watch just about anything. 
You know, I, I think a first century reality TV show that I would tune in for, I think that the world would tune in for that would probably be more popular than any of these shows would be a show called The Herods. And, and it would be a show of all of these guys named Herod, these kings that were a part of this Herodian dynasty, Herod after Herod after Herod. Uh, we see them all through scripture. In fact, there were several Herods in the Bible. They were all related and they were all terrible. And I imagine the show it would be a show about a narcissistic, personality-driven, extremely wealthy, cruel, real estate empire, pseudo-royal Herodian dynasty. I mean, this show would be so incredibly raw. It would be violent. It would be so morbid. You couldn't even find it on TV. It would, it would be streaming online only because every network would want the ratings because of how crazy it is, but nobody would be able to show what this show is all about. Uh, in fact, if you have your Bibles on you, if you have your Bible app, if you have one of our Acts journals, why don't you click over or flip over to Acts chapter 12, and we are going to jump in to some exciting, amazing portion of, of Acts. I love this. And while you're getting there, I'm going to put the first verse up on the screen here. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is what scripture says. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with a sword. Here is King Herod. And, and I know some of us, we see the name Herod in scripture and we're like, well, why is he everywhere? He is all over the place. That's what would make this reality TV show so dramatic because there were so many Herods in scripture. This is actually the first mentioned Herod in the book of Acts. Uh, he was part of this notori notorious secession of Herods, Herod after Herod that we see in the New Testament. And, and the Herod that we see here in Acts chapter 12 is actually the grandson of Herod the Great, you know, the one we first met in the New Testament back in Matthew chapter 2, who, uh, who was the, the Herod in power when Jesus was born. Let me just remind you a little bit about Herod the Great. This guy, uh, he, he was narcissistic. This first Herod, he was, he was cunning. He wasn't a Jew, yet he was king over the Jews because he kind of weaseled his way into power through, through Rome. He was, he was wealthy. He had an incredibly wealthy lifestyle, and he was a real estate mogul. I mean, this guy, he was a master builder. Uh, the best uh, cities and palaces that we're finding even today date back to the time of Herod. That He, he would have built those or had his fingerprint on many any of those some way. Uh, he was also ruthless. While he was a master builder, he was a brutal butcher. He killed many of his own people. He killed many in his own family. Uh, he had uh, his three sons just killed because he was so paranoid. You know, uh, he was so paranoid that uh, he thought people were going to take him out. So he would move from palace to palace and, and place to place. And he was so paranoid that he actually had his favorite wife killed. He had multiple wives and, and the very best one, he said, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get rid of her because I'm, I'm paranoid. Like he had these eight fortresses that he would just go because he just thought everybody was trying to get him. King Herod, this first Herod, 
He was a force to be reckoned with and his reach of, of political power and authority, it was incredibly wide. But, but when he died, all of these other Herods that were related to him, they wanted his crown, they wanted his throne, they wanted his power, but Rome decided to divide his t- territory. I mean, just, they just divided it amongst all of these Herods. They gave uh, parts and pieces out. So uh, here, here's uh, in order of some Herods. You might wanna jot some of these down. Uh, uh, Herod Antipas, uh, he got Galilee and Perea. He was the Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. And then we have Herod uh, Archelaus. He was over Judea, Samaria, uh, and, and he was very cruel. He was actually such an ineffective leader. Nobody liked him, not even the Roman government, that they eventually took him and replaced him. He was no good. Uh, there was Herod Philip. Uh, who, who uh, he was the founder of Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus had actually spent some time. And then we have Herod Agrippa, which is the Herod of, of Acts chapter 12. And, and uh, he was the grandson of Herod the Great. And uh, later in Acts, we even meet another Herod in Acts 25 and 26, his, his son, uh, Herod Agrippa II. I mean, I'm talking uh, about some must-see TV here. I mean, this is just such a dramatic line of reality that is happening through Scripture. And you can, you can watch it all. You can stream it all, and it's free right now. Just grab your Bible, open it up, and start reading. This is an incredible time. So you can see as... As we are moving through the book of Acts, things are heating up. Not only that, but the church is scattering and the gospel is spreading. Uh, There's a a wave of radical persecution that is hitting the church that's instigated by King Herod. And we're going to see a heightened emphasis on the grace of God in this time. But we're also going to see a greater expression and a greater experience of grit that the church needs, that followers of Christ need in order to thrive in such challenging circumstances. So you can see, as we enter into chapter 12, we are on a journey of grace and grit. Look at this. Uh, About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. These violent attacks were coming. And this is kind of a result of something that Jesus had actually said earlier in the book of Acts. God often uses uh, unexpected experiences to get us where he wants us. You might remember Acts uh, chapter one, verse eight says this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's happening here is that this persecution is actually pushing Christians out far and wide. Uh, these violent attacks in chapter 12 start sending the church beyond Judea and beyond Samaria and toward the ends of the earth. And sometimes Jesus uses radical measures in our lives to get us where he wants us to go. Because I'm guessing that if life was just easy and things were great, the church would still be in Jerusalem and nowhere else. So Jesus is doing something very surprising by allowing this to happen so the church can actually go deeper and wider. Look at verses three and four. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, this is King Herod, he saw that this execution of James, John's brother, it pleased the crowd. Uh, He proceeded to arrest Peter too. Peter was the leader of the church, right? They're like, if this went over well, uh, they're gonna be super pumped if I can just grab Peter. So he grabs Peter and during the festival of unleavened bread, uh, he, he takes him, he takes him captive. 
And after that, after the arrest, he puts him in prison and he assigned, now look at this, four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after Passover. You know, there's these four squads of four soldiers. I mean, this, this idea of public trial and execution, it was a trophy to Herod. Like he wanted high security here because he was absolutely aware of the escape in Acts chapter five, where the apostles, they just, they were arrested. They were put in public jail. And with the help of an angel, they just walked out of jail. They just walked out and started preaching. And Herod was just like, we are not going through that again. We're on high security. So, so Peter is being guarded by these soldiers. There's soldiers by him. There's soldiers at the door. And Peter's actually in chains. Herod's not taking any chances. There are guards on him and they're switching like every three hours because he wants them to stay fresh. He wants these guards to be alert. And so what does he do? He, he brings them out after Passover. He's eventually going to, his intention is to bring Peter out to the people after Passover. Herod, Herod wanted to get as much positive press out of this as he possibly could. So he's got Peter, people know it. It's kind of like he's selling $5,000 front row seats to an incredible fight and it's $75 pay-per-view. You guys are gonna wanna tune in because all the people are kind of pumped that he's doing this to the church. And, and they, he, he wanted the people's support. And, and he does this, his intentions are to do this after Passover. And, and that's because the, the Jews frowned upon public executions during their holy festival. Go figure, right? Look at verse five. So, so Peter, he was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. They weren't just kind of praying. They were, they were praying fervently. They were praying passionately. At this point, with, with James being beheaded, with, with Peter in prison, the church scattering, the church kind of seems helpless, but they're not hopeless. You know, these are impossible times for the church, but but they're still pursuing their purpose. You know, they're faithfully praying for what they can't see. They're faithfully praying for what they don't know. You know, there's no cell phones, so it's not like they can call Peter up and see how he's doing. There's no visitation rights, so they can, they can see how he's doing. There, there's no gospel news network reporting what's going on. The only thing that the church could do was pray, hope, and keep following Jesus as best they could. You know, sometimes I find myself falling to my knees pretty late in the game. You know, I humbly approach God saying, I can't believe that I didn't come to you sooner. I can't believe I didn't come to you as a first response. Praying should always be part of the process. All along the process, prayer should be there. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers from My Utmost for His Highest. He says this, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I love that. This church is passionately praying. They know that this is what they can do and there's incredible power in prayer. You know, several years ago, I remember driving with one of my boys. We were just driving down the road, heading to the mall. And it was so long ago that he was in a child safety car seat. So he's a little kid. I mean, talk, we're talking two, three years old. And uh, as I'm driving, we could hear from the distance sirens and then whizzing by us was an ambulance. And my little guy in the backseat, he just said, dad, what was that? And I said, buddy, that was an ambulance. And he said, dad, we should pray. And I said, yes, we should. And right there in our car, the two of us did. We, we absolutely prayed. 
The, the church was, was praying fervently without knowing what was happening inside that prison, without knowing what was going on, you know, behind those walls. They didn't know if Peter was okay. They didn't know if Peter was still alive. Verse six says, when Herod was about to bring him out, that means this is the night before Passover is done. He's about to bring him out. The festival is almost done. And the next day, Herod's intention is to bring him out. He's bringing him out for trial. That's his intention. And that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the, the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. You know, uh, he's about to bring him out. It's the last night. The trial was eminent. Security was high. Do you know what Peter was doing? I mean, we just read it. Look, look what Peter was doing. Peter was sleeping. Are you kidding me? Like after seeing what just happened to one of his best friends, after being falsely arrested, what would you be doing? Would you be able to be sleeping right now? I mean, high security, sleeping between two soldiers. You have chains on your arms. You have been falsely arrested. There's, there's this crazy amount of security and one of your friends just gone. You're certain that your fate is gonna be the same, similar, right? What are you gonna do? Peter's like, I'm just gonna take a nap. <laughs> what else can I do? I know that everything that I've done has been for the glory of God. So I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sleep. Peter, he was faithfully and obediently following Jesus. And he knows that in some way, whatever happens to him, even what is happening to him serves to advance the gospel. You see, maybe write this down. I love this. Peter is not confident that God is gonna get him out, but Peter is confident that God is in control. And so he has a peace and he is just able to sleep. Look at verse seven. Suddenly, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on his side. Do you, I don't like being struck on the side. My boys call that a tase. Like it just gets you. Like this angel struck Peter on his side and he woke him up. And you know what he said to him? He said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. I mean, listen to what the angel said. The angel said, get up. The angel said, get dressed. And the angel said, get out, but with me. I love this. And when he said, when he said, get up, the chains fell off Peter. That's what scripture says. Now here, I would love uh, for you guys to just shout out some answers to me, okay? Uh, it, was this good for Peter? I hope you said yes. Yes, absolutely this was good for Peter. Uh, is God good? Yes, absolutely. I hope you said yes. If the chains did not fall off Peter, is God still good? Man, I hope you shouted yes. Because whether the chains fall off or not, God is still good. You know, you and I, we love to hear these, these uh, miraculous stories, it, it, we, stories of incredible like recovery. We love stories of impossible situations that have these great turnaround moments. And you and I, we celebrate. We're like, isn't God so good? And the answer every single time is yes. But God is still good in the mess. We can't forget that. 
the chains, they don't always fall off. Just ask James. He says, get dressed. I mean, how much wardrobe did Peter have? I mean, and why was, why was all of his wardrobe off at this point? I mean, like this guy, he was sleeping and he was just in his, in his boxers, I guess. I mean, uh, he, maybe he's making the guards feel uncomfortable. As I think of the scenario, it makes me a little uncomfortable. You know, forgive me for this next story. I, I, I had just finished at the gym. And I had, I'd been sweaty, so I showered. I'm at my locker. I'm getting dressed. And one of you, I don't, I don't want to tell you who, but one of you, somebody from Valley Church came up to me in the locker room and just started talking to me. And, and I just want to be super friendly. I want to have a conversation, but I'm standing there getting dressed. I'm in my underwear. And I, I just finally say to this, this person, this super nice person, I just said, hey, well, you caught me in my underwear. And the guy looked at me and he goes, I don't mind. <laughs> I'm like, I do. I just wanted to get dressed. And here we are. We have Peter. Like he is in a cell before his execution. And he's just got so many clothes. And the angel says, get up, get dressed. Don't just get dressed. Now put on your sandals. Don't just put on your sandals. Why don't you wrap your cloak around you? You know, if I was Peter, I would be sitting there thinking, this is the one time I would run out in the streets in my boxers. I'm okay. Just get me out of here. You know, he, he just, he kind of doesn't, complain though, does he? he? He gets dressed. He puts on his shoes. Under these circumstances, he's probably thinking, why are we taking so much time? But this is God's time. This is God's timing. And so the angel said, get dressed. You know what Peter did? Peter got dressed. And then the angel said, get out. Well, what he actually said was, follow me. And so, so Peter did that. Peter followed him. He didn't ask, where are we going? He didn't ask, what are you doing? He just faithfully followed God's messenger. He just went, this faithful obedience, step by step. Do you realize that you and I, that we don't always need all of the steps when we're going where God is telling us to go? You know, when, when you're being obedient, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to have everything mapped out. You just faithfully follow. You know, kind of like my GPS. I remember my very first GPS. It was just this box that just sat on my dashboard. It was a gift from my wife. She knew that details messed me up. And I was sick and tired of like book maps and lists of turns. And, and I have this beautiful piece of technology just sitting in my dashboard. And I didn't put it on list mode where I had to weed through all of the details. I just let the GPS tell me, where do I turn next? Where do I turn next? How many miles until I turn next? And sometimes we're just kind of like, I'm not going anywhere until I know where I'm going. The angel said, follow me. I'll get you there. Peter doesn't ask, why do I need to get dressed? Peter doesn't ask, where are we going? He just faithfully follows step by step by step. In verse nine, you know what verse nine says? Verse nine says, and Peter followed he just followed. He, he didn't know what was happening. In fact, scripture says that he didn't even realize what was really happening was happening. He was kind of groggy from the sleep. He thought maybe this was a dream or a vision, but Peter, he just obeyed. He knew enough that he had a sense that God was doing something there in the moment and the explanation, it would just be fine if it came later. I'm just gonna faithfully follow. Look at verses uh, 11 through 14. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and, and from all that the Jewish people expected. 
As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled. This is where the prayer was happening, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked, he gets to the door and he is just knocking at the door of the outer gate and the servant named Rhoda came to answer. Rhoda's out there, she's coming to answer. She hears Peter's voice. She actually recognizes Peter's voice as he's knocking and because of her joy, she didn't even open the door. She didn't open the gate, but she ran back into the house and she started announcing that Peter was standing at the outer gate. She's like, everybody, Peter is here. Now listen, I have a ring doorbell at my house. This is a security tool. Somebody can ring the doorbell and it doesn't matter where I'm at on the planet. I can see their face. I can have a conversation. But I'm telling you, when it comes to certain people, I don't need a ring doorbell to know who's at the door. In fact, when I'm in my bedroom, and if my door is shut because I'm studying or reading or whatever, and, and one of my boys comes to the door, I can tell who it is by their knock. And I'm telling you this, not only that, sometimes I can tell you what they want by the way that they're knocking. You know, Rhoda, she recognizes Peter's voice. She's like, this is Peter. I haven't even seen him, but I know it's Peter. And then she freaks out. She doesn't even open the door. She runs through the house. She's like super pumped. She's like, it's Peter. Hey, everybody, it's Peter. And this is exactly what we have been praying for. And Peter is here. But those who were in the house listening to her, this is what they said. They said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> the church was having such a tough time. The persecution was so thick that they couldn't even believe that it would possibly Peter there. You are out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, you know what? It's gotta be his angel. You see, there was a myth uh, in this first century. There was a myth with the Jews that's not true, but the, there were several Jews who just thought that when you died, you, you, know, you had this guardian angel and this guardian angel would come by. They, they had more faith that this was a guardian angel than they had faith that their prayer we're reaching God's ears and that God would respond. You know, this is such a crazy time for the church. They were so discouraged. And you know what? I'm, I wanna give them a break because after being chased, after seeing people from the church be arrested and abused and imprisoned and beheaded, like it's really discouraging. They're having a hard time. They just weren't sure that it was actually Peter who was dropping by. And then in verse 16, Peter, however, he just kept knocking. He's like, you've got to get me in the house. They're looking for me. He just kept knocking and knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were amazed. I mean, this is what they had been praying for. This is happening. This actually is happening. So of course they're amazed. And then verse 17, motioning to them with his hand to be silent. You guys got to be quiet. You got to keep it down. I just got out of prison. Are you kidding me? He's like motioning to them to be silent. And he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He just told them everything that I just told you. He's telling them every single detail. Everybody is gathering around. They're like, our prayers worked. Are you kidding me? We've been praying for this. Everything that you're saying is happening. Like we've been praying for that. And then these things, he says, he says, I want you to tell everything that I just told you. Tell these things to James and the brothers. Now, listen. The James that we saw beheaded earlier in the chapter, that was John's brother, James. He's saying, you gotta get this news back to Jerusalem. 
This James is Jesus' half-brother who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's like, you got it. This is good news. You need to start encouraging the church that God is active. God is at work. We need to spread what's happening. So tell these things to James and the brothers, he said. And he left and he went on to another place. You know, Peter, he wants them to share that God is at work to not give up, but for the church to get up and to keep faithfully following Jesus. You know, Jesus said this. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. Jesus never promised us an easy life. He actually said that in this world, you and I, we will have troubles. And the church in Acts is feeling it. And even today, you and I, we experience that. You know, there's no start to finish formula for finding God's purpose in difficult times like this. But I'll tell you this, when we are discovering God's purpose in difficult times, there's two things that you and I will always do. And number one, if you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down. Finding God's purpose in difficult times, it always involves prayer. Every single time it involves prayer. And there will almost certainly be other steps Sometimes this might be the only step, but, but I mean, different scenarios, different situations, different things are gonna be happening, but it always involves, it always requires prayer. You know, look at uh, Acts 12.5. You remember this, Peter was in prison, but the church was praying fervently. They were praying passionately to God for him. You know, what you and I pray for reveals what you and I believe about God. You know, the church wasn't praying selfish prayers here. The church wasn't praying small prayers or vague prayers. They were praying passionately. The church was praying together. They were praying specifically for Peter. They were praying because prayer was all they had, but it wasn't a last resort, but it was all that they could do. So they were doing it with all of their heart. They were giving all this sweat equity into their prayers. So the church was praying fervently. And just like, the church in Acts, we should be praying like this. You and I, we should be praying all the time. We should pray without ceasing. We should pray even when things seem impossible. We as the church should be praying when we're unsure. You know, we keep praying even when we don't know the results. No matter what happens, God hears the prayers of his people. Look at 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have before him. This is, come on, maybe just underline that in your Bible. This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Think about everything that you prayed the past seven days. Every single prayer you prayed the past seven days. If God answered every single one of your prayers right now, would our world be different? I think about that all the time, which drives me to make sure that I'm praying bold prayers and I'm praying fervently. You know, finding God's purpose in difficult times, it's always gonna involve these two things. First, it's gonna involve prayer every single time. And finding God's purpose in difficult times always involves obedience. You know, when, when, when we live a lifestyle of obedience, we're able to respond to what God is calling us to without overthinking it. Because some of us, we think so hard, we actually talk ourselves out of obedience. 
You know, faithful obedience is, is getting dressed when you don't know where you're going. Look back at verses seven, eight, and nine. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on his side. He woke him up and he said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Verse eight, get dressed. The angel told him to put on your sandals and he did. He didn't ask questions. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. And verse nine starts out by saying, so he went out and he followed. You know, this actually happens a lot in scripture. Jesus often asked his disciples to go somewhere or to do something. And he, and he just didn't give them all the information. He definitely didn't give them all the information that you and I would have wanted. He just gave them enough to know what their next step was. He doesn't fully explain the plan. He doesn't fully explain the process. In fact, sometimes he told them to go out without money. Hey, why, I need you to go to this next city. Actually, don't even bring a sandwich with you. Uh, trust me, people will take care of you. He, he says, don't take luggage with you. And do you know what these disciples did every time, whether it was a group of 12 or a group of 72? They went. They were faithfully obedient to where God was calling them to, and they trusted him for each and every step. Their dependence on him, it grew and it was incredible. And, and I know people who cringe at the word obedience, and believe me, I get it. I get it. I mean, there's something that is in many of us that drives us to independence and self-sufficiency in a way that makes us hate the word obey. Like, why do I have to obey? It's just such a hard word to say. Truth is, faithfully following Jesus isn't a trick that God put in place to see how committed you and I are. Obedience is actually a tool designed by God as a way to give us what's best for us. So if you want to find God's purpose for your life, especially in difficult times, it's always going to involve these two things. It's always going to involve prayer and it's always going to involve obedience. You and I, we should be praying without ceasing and, and faithfully following even when we don't know the final destination. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of, of these men and women in scripture who are growing us, sharpening us, how your word challenges us. God, I pray that uh, you would remind us to pray. I ask that you would give us nudges and that we would feel a conviction inside of us and yet have the confidence that you hear our words when we come to you to have a conversation with you. And Lord, help us be obedient. Help us not find our strength in ourselves, that we would set our self-sufficiency aside and we would faithfully, obedient, follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.